This year's Pittsburgh Pirates, many of which are pictured up here on the screen, they serve as a good illustration for how life as a Christian should be. Now, I want you to understand something. At some point, every illustration breaks down, okay? Every illustration will fail at some point, okay? So I'm not saying that the pirates are the perfect picture of the church. They're just a good illustration, especially this year's team, is a good illustration for a picture of the church because of some of the things that happen with this year's team. As individuals, these guys that are pictured here are extremely talented. They are extremely talented individuals. you got to understand something. Just to get in the majors makes you extremely talented at baseball. Last year, 2012 season, Pedro Alvarez, I can't even pronounce his name. Pedro Alvarez was like the K King. You know, I would see people put on, uh, on their Facebook, and today's game brought to you by the letter K. K's are strikeouts. You know, but, and people were just beating on Pedro because, you know, he, he wasn't doing well, you know, and here he is, you know, a long ball hitter strike out a lot, by the way. But here's Pedro really struggling, really struggling. We're like, yeah, get rid of him, get rid of him. You gotta understand something. To even get in the majors is amazing. Pedro struck out a lot less than I would have. I'd have struck out looking, right? I'd have been like, okay, he's, he's winding up. And I'd have swung, you know, because chasing the balls, you know, I mean, it's just tough. These guys are amazing as individuals, right? That's one of the things that's, that's a parallel to the church, and we're going to get into that in a moment. Another thing, nobody on the team can do what anybody else on the team does. You say, oh, come on, pastor, there's, there's more than one pitcher. yes. But each pitcher has a specialty. All these pitchers don't throw the same pitches. And, and when they do throw some of the same pitches, they don't throw them the same way. One guy, he might be a, a great strikeout guy, but he's slow to the plate, which means he, he, his windup is slow, and so guys are able to steal bases on him easier and things like this. You know, and you look at this, these guys have these different talents. They may seem the same on the surface, but underneath, each guy is an integral part of the team and cannot be replaced by any of the other guys. Another way that the Pirates are like the church, some of them are veteran players. One of my favorite players from last year, I was so sad to see him go. I mean, I understand why he left, but uh, is this guy right up here in the upper, I guess on your side, upper left-hand corner? It's Brandon Inge. Veteran player in the twilight of his career. Utility player. They pretty much put him anywhere on the field except for the pitcher's mound. Right? Wasn't a great bat. Wasn't a great shortstop. Wasn't a great third baseman. Wasn't a great second baseman. Wasn't a great catcher. But he was able to fill in when guys needed rest days and all of these things. And and beyond that, he was a veteran player who by all accounts, brought something to the team in the clubhouse that none of the other guys did. He mentored people. He encouraged these younger players. He knew that he was in the twilight years of his career. He knew that he probably wouldn't make the end of the season at the Pirates, at part of their ball club. But he still mentored. He didn't get bitter and say, well, I'm close to the end of my time. I'm just going to be done. No. He invested. It's a good picture of the church, I think. Some of them are rookies, just starting to learn the ropes. 
Kelly, Missy, rookies, right? They've been believers for three or four months. Missy has. Kelly's less than that. They're rookies. Learning the ropes from the veterans. And you veterans, what you teach them will either put them on the right track or screw them up for the rest of their life as Christians. That's why the Scriptures tell us to be careful if you want to teach. Not because you're held to a higher standard of holiness. No, but because you're held accountable for how you act and how you teach them to act. That's why we're held to a higher standard as a teacher. Because what I teach you to do, if I teach you the wrong thing, now it's my sin too. It's a good picture of the church. Some are standout players. Even MVPs and all-stars. Clearly, you see, with Ron not being here this morning, he, he stands out a whole lot more when the utility player's got to get up there and get in his spot, right? Mark does some amazing things, and, and you think about Mark, and you think about the things he does, and you don't understand just how much he's standing out. Or maybe ministry coordinators, MVPs, right? People who are, who are diligently working, and we can't do without them. Standout players. Everybody knows their name. This is another good picture of the church. And some are just average. Just average as far as major leaguers go. But are exceptional as far as baseball is concerned. exceptional as far as baseball is concerned, but just average as far as the major league goes. Now, some of you maybe don't like baseball. Maybe you like NASCAR, okay? Would you rather take first place in a go-kart race or last place in a NASCAR race? Uh, last place in a NASCAR race, please, right? At least I'm racing in the big time, right? And that's the difference, you know? Oh, it's pretty nifty if we're in church softball league and I hit one over the fence, and I'm like, ooh, I'm awesome. Until somebody throws something flat and fast, right? Takes the arc out of it, and then I'm not so cool anymore. Right? And, and maybe that's you. Maybe you're just like, well, I'm just the average person in the church. You know, there's nothing standoutish about me. So? You're exceptional as far as the world's concerned. You're exceptional compared to people who, who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's not to down unsaved people i'm just saying that you have the spirit of a living god in you that's pretty powerful can i get a witness the thing about this is though is no matter how good these guys are as individuals they have to work as a committed cohesive whole in order to win and even though this team should not have been able to make the playoffs this year their understanding of teamwork helped propel them into the playoffs where they lost a close series to the Cardinals. <laughs> I was born in St. Louis. The fact that I'm a Pirates fan is proof positive you can be delivered. <laughs> so, uh, anyhow. But they eventually ended their season in, in the playoffs to the Cardinals. And I guess if, there's, if you're going to go out... Go out to the team who makes it to the World Series. You know. But now I want to go back through the illustration. This time talking about these things. About uh, 
individuals being extremely talented, these different things. I want to go back through it and I want to liken it to the church and want to really flesh that out for you a little bit. Individuals that are extremely talented. There are four or five, I think it's five now, five music teachers that are part of this church. Extremely talented individuals. And music teachers for for kids and teenagers, which means they're extremely patient individuals apparently as well, right? Extremely talented individuals that are using those talents to glorify God. Talents, not spiritual gifts. And there's difference between a talent and a spiritual gift. And you say, well, which one should we use for God? Both. A spiritual gift is supernatural empowerment God miraculously gives you. But a talent is something you've developed. Maybe you were an innate talent that you were born with. But using talents for God. I mean, music teachers are just one example. There are people who are extremely talented at teaching. There's some who are extremely talented at other things. And so you have these extremely talented individuals using their gift for the body of Christ. Using their talent for the body of Christ. I said on the Pirates, nobody else can do what anybody else on the team can do. Pitchers are not just pitchers. Each one has their special way. There are guys inside of this building, and and gals even probably, that could stand up and and preach a good sermon. Their delivery is different than mine. They can't replace me, nor can I replace them. There are sometimes there are people who teach training ground classes or small groups. Very good at what they do. Could not jump into somebody else's training ground class or small group and and just take it over. No matter how much they think they can sometimes. Some are veteran players mentoring the younger players. We have... Believers, if you've been a believer for 50 years or better, raise your hand. Okay, there's a couple hands up. Okay, keep them up. 40 years or better, raise your hand. 30 years or better, raise your hand. 20 years or better, raise your hand. Okay, look around. These are the veterans, okay? These are the veteran players. Now put your hands down. If you've been a believer five years or less, raise your hand. Okay, these are the rookies. That you should be mentoring. Right? We have this set up inside of the church. And rookies should be learning. And the cool thing about rookies, sometimes rookies will take chances that veteran players won't take. Because they're trying to, to get their own feet underneath them, right? Like when Tony Sanchez was catching against the Padres... And he did that flip over the rail into their dugout. You know, Sanchez didn't really have a spot on the team. He was, he was in because the fort got hurt, right? But he's willing to take a chance. And so it's cool to see rookie players out there doing crazy stuff. I mean, think about it. Rookies in the, in the church, they've either led all their friends to Christ or made them all mad within the first few years of being a believer. Right? Because they want to they go out and do something and make an impact. And as veteran players, we come alongside of them and help them with this. But there's more. Standout players. 
I guess when you think about it, and this isn't to try to be conceited or anything, but among the elders, I'm the standout player. Not that I'm better than them, but I'm the guy who's up front all the time, right? First among equals. I'm the mouthpiece for the whole group. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's not so good. (laughs) Right? It doesn't mean I'm any more or less important being a standout player. And then we have, finally, inside the church, those who just kind of feel like they're average and are kind of, kind of nervous. I don't know where I fit in. I'm not sure how I fit into all of this. But you know the part that I think the church misses that the pirates got? Is that we were supposed to work together as a cohesive whole. As a cohesive, competent team. And I got to just tell you, I'm edging up on 12 years in the pastorate. And I've, and I've interacted with hundreds, maybe thousands of churches. And most of the time, I do not see the church working as a competent, cohesive team. I see us working and doing our own thing. And we get so passionate about what we want to do that everybody else be darned. I got to do my ministry. I got to I got to do my thing. I got to get everybody to do it like I do it and all of those things. And and if you don't do it my way, well, I'm going to take my ball and go home. I don't you know, I don't see the pirates doing that. I mean, Brandon Inge by all accounts should have done that. Right? But the thing is if Brandon Inge had done that, he wouldn't have been a part of the storybook season. Church, I don't think we work together as, as, a, as a competent, cohesive whole. But, just like, just like with baseball, it takes a team. It takes a team to impact Oil City. It takes a team to impact the oil region. We can't go out there and, and do this on our own and have our own way and you know be all solo on it. It's a team sport. And I think the author of Hebrews actually points this out in the scriptures we're going to study this week. So I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles and we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. Now I know, as you're turning there, that a couple of weeks ago... The last time we did Hebrews, as we're working through this, I went through, chat, or I went through verse 12. But we're going to pick up at verse 12 and, and, and include that again this week. Okay? So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. You may have a different translation. That's okay. I say that almost every week. Why? Because there's such controversy in the church in America that certain translations of the Bible can't be used. Please. Jesus didn't speak Old English. He spoke Greek and Aramaic. Okay? Jesus didn't speak the King's English. There's nothing wrong with the King James Version. But they're all translations. 
That's why I say that over and over again, because I want people to understand that. You get a good translation that works for you that you can track with. Amen? So let's read them together. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be handed, or excuse me, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Church, one of the big reasons that the pirates made the playoffs is because they carefully executed their plans both on and off the field. They didn't just execute plans on game day. They carefully executed every day, even on the off days. They carefully executed every day before and after the games. I mean, Jason Grilly, when he'd come out and throw and, and pitch a good save, he didn't just go celebrate and get out on the town and celebrate. No, he executed even after the game by heading back to the locker room, even if he only threw 15 pitches and having ice in it down and packing it all up in ice so that it would heal up and, and his muscles would recover from that and he wouldn't be out and even doing those kind of things. Sometimes we see injuries, right? Well, church, the writer of Hebrews... Can you advance my slide? The writer of Hebrews admonishes the church to take care how we execute living out our faith. The writer of Hebrews admonishes the church to be careful in how we execute the living out of our faith. That's in verse 12. Now, you, you might be thinking, oh, I don't know, admonish? Admonish? Maybe that's a strong word because admonish, if we look that up in the dictionary, and I'm using the English word admonish, it's not in that passage of Scripture, but it is to firmly warn or reprimand. To firmly warn or reprimand. But you see, the author of Hebrews is trying to keep people from falling away from the faith. Look at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That sounds pretty admonishy to me. I probably just made that word up. Don't look that up, admonishy. But, you know, that's, that's pretty firm warning. Be careful, unless you fall away. Two weeks ago, we talked about how different theological camps out there believe uh, that this passage of Scripture is a very real warning. We had the Calvinists on one side, we had the Arminians on the other side, of which I am neither. And you don't have to pick. You don't have to pick whether or not you're a Calvinist or an Arminian. There's no rule about that in Scripture anywhere. Right? We're all in the process of learning. So, you know, just figure out where you're at and, and understand from that point. So Calvinists believe that once saved, always saved. That's part of that, the perseverance of the saints. That if I prayed the prayer, if I received Christ as my Savior, then I'm in heaven no matter how my life goes. Okay? And they would view this warning in verse 12 as being said, well, be careful lest you fall away from the faith. Well, if a person falls away, they really weren't saved to begin with. 
Okay, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago. If you're hard to sin and you're a Calvinist, leaning theologically, then, then be concerned. From the Calvinist viewpoint, you never were saved. So get right. Now the Arminians believe that a person can lose their salvation. Hardcore extreme Arminianism, you sin, you lose it. You gotta repent and, you know, ask you back in to, to have it back. Now, I lean a little more Arminian, though not hardcore Arminian. I believe that there are things that we can do, we can willingly give up our salvation. We can choose to walk away. I don't know why somebody would. But I see warnings in Scripture. I see this warning as that. Right? But I could be wrong. But nonetheless, if I'm an Arminian, this serves as a warning that I better get right with God. Either way, Calvinist or Arminian, whether you believe you can lose it or whether you believe you have eternal security, this is a warning and both camps agree. And both camps have an explanation of how people can fall prey to falling away from the faith. When we take care, this is like us becoming exceptional baseball players that can make the big league cut. I want you to grab a hold of that. This is like these exceptional players who are just average when it comes to being in the big leagues. These Pittsburgh Pirates, even though even even in the 21 years of losing seasons, these guys were still the cream of the crop because they were in the majors. Right? Even when they weren't doing well as a team, they were still some of the best out there. There's not a lot of guys who make major league baseball. If you've ever played in the majors, raise your hand. Okay, okay, I'll relax the standards a little bit. If you've ever played in the minors, raise your hand. Okay, I'll relax it even more. If you played college baseball, raise your hand. See, they're standout guys, right? They're standout guys. So I want you to understand that. I want you to to grab a hold of that and just get that deep down inside. When we take care, like it's saying here in verse 12, when we take care and when we, when we have concern for how we're walking our faith out and all of those things, it, it's like making the cut and being in the, the big leagues. However, baseball is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. And the Christian faith is also... A team sport. It is not an individual sport. I know some of you are like, it's not even a sport, Pastor. Follow the illustration, please. Okay? it's It's a team sport. There is nowhere in the Bible that it says Christianity is a home correspondence course that you do on your own. It's not there. It is not there. There are plenty of places in the Bible, that say it's a team thing, that we're to walk this out. We're going to look at that in homework this week, but I'm not going to expound on that right now. I'm going to move on. I have a little note here that says, don't go into this yet. So that's why I make myself little notes like that, because sometimes I get a little squirrely and get ahead of myself. Some of you are like, sometimes. So, so I want you to see here that in verse 13, the author of Hebrews tells us to exhort one another. Which implies that we're in this together. 
The contextual meaning of the Greek word translated exhort in this passage is to earnestly support or encourage an action. Noted New Testament scholar Kenneth S. And I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. Woost, maybe. Uh, he served as a New Testament Greek professor at Moody. He argues that exhort in this context, it actually means to beg one another earnestly. To beg one another. Please, please do the right thing. Please. This is exhort in this context. This is the contextual meaning. The author of Hebrews does not tell us to exhort ourselves because no individual alone is the church. He says in verse 13, and I want everybody to look at it, but exhort one another. Not exhort yourself. Not pick up your own drooping hands. Not challenge yourself. Exhort one another. Jerry to exhort Brian. And Brian likewise to exhort Jerry. Iron of Keith to sharpen the iron of Jerry. Iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another. Exhorting one another. This committed, cohesive team. Listen to me. Christianity is not a solo endeavor. I know you're like, preacher, we heard you. I don't know. I don't know that you did. Because I've been preaching this message to churches for 12 years. And still the majority of the church doesn't see that we're supposed to be a committed part of a cohesive team. When things are going bad for us, this is some people inside the church. When things are going bad, well, they stay away from the church because they don't want to, they don't want to hear all that stuff. They don't realize that they need to be picked up and encouraged. Now, other people are the exact opposite. When things are going bad, they run to the church fast as they can. But then as soon as things are going good, they're like, Oh, I'm good. I got it. And they go off on their own and they're doing their own thing again. Or the opposite, when things go good, they start coming back. This is a loner mentality. This is a church loner mentality that we've got to break in our lives. When things are going good for Carol, she still needs to be a part of the body because things might not be going good for Shelly. And she's going to need to pick up Shelly's drooping hands. She's going to need to say, hey, the battle's not going in your favor. And so I'm going to hold your arms up until the enemy's defeated. Just like they did for Moses when, it was battle, when they were battling the Amalekites. When things are going good for you, it's probably even more critical for you to be here. Because somebody's being crushed. I might be getting ready to make Carol mad. I hope not. Carol's sister is not doing well. I didn't ask permission to share this. Hopefully she don't stone me. She just gave me permission. It's too late anyways, but, but I appreciate it. Carol's sister's not doing well. Church, your sister's hurting. And it shouldn't be just Carol's small group who gathers around her. Thanks God she's got a good small group that is. But it should be the church gathering around her as her sister is, is struggling with cancer. It should be the whole body gathered around, building her up. Because it's not a solo sport. Man, finally, somebody's getting it over there. Somebody finally, I don't even know who it was. It may have been Steve or was it Evelyn? Nice. It's not a solo sport.
Church, we've got to get this figured out. It doesn't matter about the word exhort if it means to beg or, or to earnestly implore. The point is, is that we're supposed to put some passion into loving one another and helping one another. But church, some of the most popular titles inside of Christianity right now, are th- I think the title of this book is Why We Eat Our Own. I, I could be wrong. It's something like that about how the church devours one another. Why we eat one another. When we demand our way. When we say it's got to be my way. For decades inside the church we had the worship wars. Everybody who's going to church here who enjoyed worship this morning would have been kicked out of a lot of churches, told to go away because of our preference for something modern. That's a solo mentality. I say it all the time from the pulpit. I've said it since I've been here. I don't like everything that happens at OCCA. I don't. I just got to get over it. It's not my church, it's his church. He gets to be in charge today. Can I get an amen? Okay. We don't have to like it all. It's a team sport. There are things that are happening because that's what Jeff needs. There are things that are happening because that's what Bobby needs. There are things that are happening because that's what Don needs. There are things that are happening because that's what Kath needs. And that's okay because I'm supposed to love somebody and and pour my life into them. And likewise, when I'm hurting, they're supposed to love me and pour their life into me. I think I might be a little passionate about this. I don't know. It just agitates me. Here's why. Here's where I think the fact that I've only been a believer for 12 years. Yes, almost as long as I've been a pastor. Or I've been a pastor almost as long as I've been a believer. Okay, which I don't recommend it. But, but here's where I think that's an advantage. All of these ways that we eat each other, I didn't grow up seeing that. It wasn't normal to me. So when I see it happening, I don't have 20 years of history of of watching it happen and thinking that's just how church is. And so I'm pretty brave to go, stop it! The Bible says don't do that! But then I go a step further and I say, the Bible says don't do that, but instead it says do this! It's a sermon for another day, but I believe that avoiding sin... If we'd worry about doing the do's, we don't really have time for the don'ts. If you're doing the things you're supposed to be doing, you don't have time to be doing the things you're not supposed to be doing. But that's a sermon for another day. But here's the point, you know, I think it's an advantage in a way. Because I don't have all this background. Now, it's a disadvantage in another way. But for this, it's an advantage. But I said in the last slide, I said that the author of Hebrews uh, does not tell us to exhort ourselves because no individual alone is the church. Now, I want to qualify this. The Greek word for church is ecclesia, and it means the called out ones, not the called out one. The called out ones, or those who have been called out. 
This means that no one individual can say, contrary to what you might believe internally, just, just listen to this real quick. If the church is the called out ones, or those who are called out, can one person say, I am the church? No. In, inherent in the definition of church is many. No one person can say, I am the church. We can only say, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. Not I am the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Okay? Think about that for a second. This is important because I know people who stay home and say, well, I I watched the preacher on TV. I had church on my own. They don't understand what church is. No. You had Bible study. Didn't have church. You can't have church. Unless you have this group of people. Then you have church. It's not an event. I'm not the church. You're not the church. We are the church. If we want to put an I in there, all we can put in there is I am a part of the church. But we can only do that if we're really a part of the body. In verse 13, the author of Hebrews tells us to exhort one another every day as long as it is called a day. Now, I just love this. Like, I, I think this is so funny, the way the author is inspired by the Holy Spirit to do this. And it says, exhort one another every day as long as it is called a day. This is the Holy Spirit's way of conveying through the writer of Hebrews that the plain meaning of exhorting one another every day is exactly what the Holy Spirit has in mind. He's like, now I could just leave it as exhorting one another every day. But you might get confused about that and you might think, well, okay, so every day when we're together, like on Sunday or, or Wednesday at my small group or whatever, I'm to exhort each other, we're to exhort each other. And, and the rest of the time we don't have to do that. But no, the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is perfect. He is God. Perfectly equal with the Father and the Son. There's no hierarchy in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. It's the Spirit of the Father. Right? The Holy Spirit inspires the writer of Hebrews to be so redundant here. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. Now, hey, let me ask a question. Is today today? Can I get a. Is today today? Now, don't tell me it's Sunday. What day is today? Today. Is it, so it's still called today, right? Tomorrow, when we get to tomorrow, will tomorrow be tomorrow? No, what will it be? Today. What about Wednesday? When we get to Wednesday, will it be, will it be tomorrow or the day after tomorrow? No, it'll be today. So how often are we to exhort one another? Every doggone day. I think the Holy Spirit does this through the writer of Hebrews because he knows that sometimes I'm slow. I don't know about you guys. I'm slow. Sometimes. And so I think he puts this in here. He's like, hey, man, don't overthink this. You know, sometimes we overthink it. Well, what does it mean every day? Holy Spirit's like, like, you know, dude, seriously? Like, any day that's called today. Oh. 
So if the plain meaning makes sense, there doesn't need to be any other sense, right? Can I get a witness? Amen? I think sometimes we overthink things. So what does this teach? This teaches that we are to consistently be a part of a team. Even the same team. You go, whoa, pastor, that's a jump. How did you jump from we're to exhort each other every day, as long as it's called today, to we're supposed to be a part of a team, even the same team? Because, friends, I can only exhort those that I have a relationship with. If I go out and I hear somebody's a, a Christian on the street and I go walk up to them and I start begging them to follow Jesus, they're going to think I'm weird. Right? I've got a friend of mine, love him, I know he loves the Lord. He posts the weirdest stuff on Facebook. It's the weirdest stuff. Oh, Jesus lovers. Go beseech the Father to... And he just goes through his whole stuff. And I'm just like, that's just weird. Now, I understand it because I was in church with the guy for years. And so I understand what he's doing. He's exhorting. But other people are looking and going, cuckoo for cuckoo puffs. Right? So it's part of the same team. Because I can't exhort Jeff unless I have a relationship with Jeff. Especially sometimes exhortation looks a whole lot more like, come on, dude, seriously? You're seriously going to do that to your wife? Seriously? It takes a relationship to be able to do that. A committed, cohesive relationship. To be a part of a team. To say we've yielded to one another. We've mutually submitted to one another. And we've given each other permission to do this in our life. And we can only do that in a team that we're part of. Now, this is where I'm going to digress a little bit here and, 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 and just back up and explain some things. There are two types of church that are God's church in the world. There's the church universal, which is comprised of every believer that ever existed. And then there's the local church. Just because you are part of the church universal does not mean you are in a committed, cohesive relationship with the church. I am part of the church universal. I cannot just show up in Russia and exercise my authority as a pastor over churches over there and exhort them. Last time I was in Russia, I taught on healing. I talked to the pastor of the church beforehand and we worked it out on what I could and couldn't teach. Because he's part of a cohesive whole and he and I are part of a cohesive whole, but I'm not part of his church. Local. And if he doesn't encourage them to pay attention to me, then I have no authority there. Major League Baseball, as a whole, is like the universal church. Everybody who's in the majors is a major leaguer. Yet the church local is like the Pirates. Or the Reds. 
Maybe the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals are a different denomination, but anyhow. <laughs> so, but, uh, but this is, and, but these players, they commit to the local franchise. They even sign contracts. That's kind of like becoming a member. I know some of you struggle with being a member of a church. Listen, what's the struggle with commitment? Did you commit to your marriage? Well, if I commit, this precludes me from ever being a part of anything else. I don't think so. Because when Colorado had its last faith night, the Rockies, they asked a bunch of the pirate players to stay and be a part of that. They worked together to do a faith night to share their faith to their players out there. And you know what? Sometimes teams trade players. And they go from being a part of this team over to this team and they're committed and they're there. And they lock in. I think a lot of times the reason we fail to commit is because we got hurt. It's because we got hurt. We got injured. Right? I think that's, I think that's like the number one reason why veteran players in the church born-again folks who I know love Jesus failed to commit to a local church is because another church hurt them. Can I just say something? You can be hurt whether you commit or not. But we commit to be a part of a cohesive whole. I picked on the Browns a lot today, but I feel like Jeff's okay with me saying this. Jeff has said to me when I first came here, I don't understand why some people don't want to be a part of our team. Long before I was thinking of a team analogy, I don't know why they won't join the team. I don't understand. I'm like, Jeff, I think because sometimes they're hurt. Why are we afraid to commit to one another? Well, if I commit to you, that means you can hurt me. Yeah, I can hurt you either. I can hurt you either way, though. I don't want to hurt you. And if I hurt you, then put me in a headlock. Thump me. You know? This past week, there was a, you know, a couple of guys came and talked to me about stuff. I'm not going to go into the stories, nor am I going to mention who it was. But they came and talked with me. I think they felt better. I felt better afterwards. They came and exhorted me, and I exhorted them. And all, in the end, everything's all good. We love each other. And we're committed to one another. This has happened many times in my ministry. But there's a, there's, a real, there's a real reason that I think the Pirates show it perfectly. The Pirates show it perfectly this year about why we need to commit. Towards the end of the season, the Pirates started frantically scrambling to pick up a couple of, a couple of bats, a couple of guys who, who could hit the ball. They were on a playoff run. They knew they were going to make the playoffs. The 21-year losing streak was over. And they're like, we got to do something to make it all the way. Now, the Pirates, as a team, as individuals, there were, there's a, I mean, McCutcheon, very gifted, other very gifted players. But there's not enough all-star power on the team to really make it as far as they did. They made it as far as they did because of the cohesive teamwork. But they brought on, and I'm not trying to beat up Morneau, and I'm not trying to beat up Bird. 
but they brought on these players at the end of the season. Bird came on for the end of the season to finish his contract and go into free agency. Like we knew we weren't going to be able to keep him. And we brought him on. I don't think we kept Morneau either, did we? Morneau never took off the way that he was supposed to take off. Bird was doing okay, but they never gelled with the team. I believe, and I'll never know if this is true or not, I believe we would have made the World Series this year had we took the people to the dance who got us to the dance. But when we did not value those people, and it was out of character for Clint Hurdle. Clint Hurdle, by the way, born-again believer. That influences how he coaches. But when, when we, and, and manages the team, but when we, and, I, and Hurdle didn't make these decisions on his own. But when we didn't take those players, I think it messed up how the thing was gelling. I think we, I think we lost some of that, that, that fire that was taking us so far, that was doing things. I mean, no, last year, in 2012, McCutcheon was the standout player. This season, 2013, every night it was a different guy. They even let Josh Harrison pitch. <laughs> Those of you who watch baseball know that's funny. <laughs> okay, a different guy every night. Josh Harrison is not a pitcher. He's a utility player who was up and down into the minors all year long. <laughs> so, but it's just to me, they lost that family thing. They lost that commitment to one another. They lost that we're connected. We are believing and going together. We didn't, they didn't value one another. Teams and churches desperately need to commit to, no, to one another for the greatest possible impact. And there at the end of the season, when victory was in sight, they decided to make some changes. And I know all of Major League Baseball does this kind of stuff. But guys, I think it hurt the Pirates in the long run. People watching them play, it's like, man, they lost their fire. People weren't valued. It kind of took the wind out of their sails. When we don't value one another, it takes the wind out of our sails. When we won't commit to one another, it causes us to just flounder there, dead in the water, not moving. I want to liken this to the church. I think sometimes the church, the local church, sees people inside the local church as expendable. I'm going to just throw it to you from a pastor's perspective. Okay? Clarion County, as a whole, the county, I believe has a spiritual stronghold that it sees pastors as expendable. We don't need them. We don't love them. We, don't, we won't commit to them. They are hirelings. They come, they go, we don't care. 
I've had elders and deacons in multiple churches tell me that's what their church believes, that pastors are expendable. We're not going to commit to you. We're not going to love you. We're not going to take care of you because you're going to leave someday. That's just from the pastor's perspective. Okay? From your perspective, you may have felt that somewhere in the church too one time. Like what you felt and who you were didn't matter. If a church leader's ever done that to you, listen. I apologize and I repent for them. I know I'm not them, but take it in the spirit that it's meant. I'm sorry. You are valuable. You are valuable to the kingdom of God. You are valuable. You're a valuable member of the team. Even if you're not a standout player, you're a valuable member of the team. You're valuable. Even if you never make it out on the baseball diamond, even if you're just the concessionaires or the greeters, the concierge, or however you say that word, that's up there showing you to your seat and wiping it off, you're valuable. You're valuable to the team. And we've got to admit that sometimes churches, as, as an organization, lash out at people and devalue them. And I repent for that, if that's happened to you. But I think there's another side of it, too. I think sometimes the church member doesn't see their commitment to the local body being valuable, and they see the particular congregation that they're a part of as being expendable. Well, if things just don't go the way I like it here, I'll just pack up and go somewhere else. That happens all too often. When I pastored at Crossroads, I was known for telling people who came to church and told me about the problems they had at their last church and they were leaving because they'd gotten fed up. I was known for looking them in the face and going, go back. Go make it right. If you end up leaving, it needs to be after you've tried to reconcile it and work it out, go back. Your church isn't expendable. I'm going to give you some examples of ways that we do this, the ways that we don't put value into our local congregation. I'm going to start off on one that just seems really crazy. We have a group of people in our church that most of us cannot speak to. Because they speak with their hands. What is it saying to that group of people when you won't even try to learn to talk to them? I am nervous about trying to take sign language next fall. Because I'm pretty sure I'm going to look like a bumbling idiot. But I'm going to try anyways. Because Beverly and Janet, and Emily, and the others, they're important. What's it say to them? What does it say? Now, I'm excited to say there's 19 people who've said they're interested in taking that class. But I'm depressed to say there's about 180 of us who are saying we're not going to. 
So we got about 10%. I know it's tough. I know it's not going to be easy. But hey, if we just learn the alphabet, we could have a slow conversation. This is valuing people. Joining a small group. When you stay away from connecting in small group settings, number one, you're ignoring scripture. Jesus was a small group guy. His 12 was a small group. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, when the church was instituted, they met daily together in homes. They didn't have big houses. That The church was a mega church at that point, by the way. A couple thousand people added the first sermon, right? So they're up over, up over two grand. They were meeting in homes, small groups. That's committing. I know it's vulnerable. We don't like to be vulnerable. I already mentioned one earlier about being at services. No matter what. No matter what. Barring vacation. You know. And I'm just not going to stay home because I don't feel like going. I know that's tough. You may not need it today, but somebody else might. You may be okay today. But Kelly might be crushed. Or volunteering for a ministry. When we have to beg people to sign up to do nursery or children's church or training ground, what are you saying about the people? You're saying you're expendable. I don't value you. I have gifts. I have talents, but I won't use them for you because you're not important to me because it's all about me. Tithing. When we, don't, when we don't steward our finances well, I believe that if every Christian tithed, we wouldn't need to take special offerings for anything. We'd be able to buy chairs. We'd be able to send every missionary who needs to be sent. We'd be able to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. But we don't do that. And the one that's going to make some of you cringe, committing to membership. subjecting yourself to the authority of a local church. And if you just are an adherent, you're not subject to our authority. As a local church, you're not. Our government, whether we like it or not, says that if you are not a member of the local church, we can do nothing if you go off the deep end. If you start teaching heresy, I can't correct you. All I can do is ask you to leave. Because you can sue me in court and win. You can say all you want to. You're committed. I'm sorry. The laws of our land are to be followed by us. Some people say, oh, Paul says that in Romans. But it was a different time. Yeah. When Paul was writing it in Romans, it was illegal to be a Christian in Rome. And they were put to death for their faith. And he still said to render unto Caesar what was Caesar's. And still said to obey. Yeah, it was worse. Understand this as we close. Even if you don't value the church enough to do some of these things, or you're struggling with it, or you're not understanding it, or you're not agreeing with it, that's okay. We're all in the process of growth. Keep coming. We're going to keep valuing you.
we're going to keep loving you. We're going to keep pouring into your family so that hopefully someday you'll go, I'll pour back in. Because I know we've been hurt, we've been beat up, we've been bruised, we've been kicked. Some of us have been stabbed and had the hilt broke off. So the knife is still in us and we're still bleeding. We're still going to love you. But understand what this commitment is supposed to be about. But don't take my word for it. We have homework for this week. Scriptures that will hopefully challenge you and show you the importance of the team and how the team concept works in the church. Monday is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Tuesday, Romans 12, 3 through 8. And then Wednesday through Saturday is pretty much we're going to go through most of chapter 12 and all of chapter 13 of the Corinthian, of, uh, excuse me, of 1 Corinthians. I started to say of the Corinthian epistles, but no, it's just one of them. Wednesday, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20. Thursday, 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 26. Friday, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 31. And Saturday, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. As we go through Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I want you to approach those scriptures with this question. God is using through Paul the image of a physical human body. My finger is committed to be a part of me. It's joined and committed. My heart is committed to be a part of me. We have the technology nowadays to have transplants, but a lot of times transplants are rejected because the normal way of things is that we're a part of a body and stay a part of it. We, I value all these parts, and all these parts value the rest of me. Wrestle with that concept of the body. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, I know that I maybe preached a long time this morning. I don't know, but we commit this time to you today. We ask you to have your way. We ask you to do amazingly, abundantly, and exceedingly beyond all that we could hope or ask for. Lord, we ask that you would encourage us to love one another, to grow with one another, to share our faith with one another. Lord, not, not witnessing Christ, but sharing our life of faith with one another. And witnessing to a lost and dying world. Lord, bind us together as a local body with cords of love that cannot be broken. But Lord, may they be elastic cords that let new people get in. Lord, we love you. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. And God's people said, Amen.